Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Galatians 3. Open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3. We've made it past the first two chapters, so onward. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Lord's Day. Thank you that you have given us uh, a knowledge of your Son and that he rose on uh, Sunday. And we gather together and remember and commemorate and um, enjoy uh, the Sabbath. Lord, I pray that you would illumine our minds, give us hearts to understand your word. Lord, we pray that you would uh, help us to, uh, by your spirit, grow in grace and knowledge and wisdom. Father, and that you would continue the work of conforming us to your Son. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so Galatians chapter 3. If you remember the end of 2, Peter is rebuked by the Apostle Paul to his face publicly. And. If you look in the New American Standard Bible, which is what we generally use, uh, there are quote marks from 15 all the way to the end of 21. They, they are making the argument that that was what the apostle, that was the content of the apostle Paul's words to Peter. Um, some think it's just the one verse, some think it's the, the whole section. Nevertheless, we're getting into the argument of how how somebody is justified, right? The question of justification before the Lord. What is justification and how can a man be justified before the Lord? We spent a lot of time looking into that. Now, in three, he pivots away from telling us about the situation with Peter and Paul and turns toward the Galatian church. And so he begins this way, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? This is the word of the Lord. So he's getting intense, right, with this church and these churches of this region. He, he leads off with, an invective, an insult, right? And he goes after them in very strong words. Uh, it's translated, you foolish Galatians. It's actually the, the first, uh, the first um, 
first part of this is evocative, and so it should be, oh, foolish Galatians. It should not be you, foolish Galatians. He's, he's making, um, he's addressing them, and, it's, and foolish isn't really the right word either. It's, it's actually unthinking. You unthinking, you stupid, unthinking Galatians. I mean, that's, that's the flavor of this. You're not thinking at all. You're, you're, being, you're being completely mindless when it comes to this. And so the, the thrust of the apostle's argument is shifting here, and he's leaving behind his own experience. He's moving on to the, the question of what the Galatians have experienced, right? He wants to know how they received their justification or regeneration in the first place? Was it by the works of the law, or was it by hearing with faith? That's the question, right? And that's the question the church has debated through the ages. That's what the Reformation was about, right? At its core, Luther's making an argument about justification that we're saved by faith, right? As opposed to some sort of combination of faith and works, or as opposed to just completely works done on our own. And so, we see the intensity of the Apostle Paul here. We see his emotion, right? He comes at them and he, he says they're being mindless. They, they are lacking spiritual perception here. And he keeps going back to what you received beforehand. Do you remember what I preached to you? Do you remember that? You're so quickly deserting those things for this other gospel, which really is no gospel, right? And he's, he, he is, he's questioning their spiritual perception. They're being stupid and unreasonable given the facts of the case given what had been preached there previously, given the, their own faith that they had expressed. Along come these Judaizers and they do about a 180 degree turn and start believing what these Judaizers are teaching them. It's as if they're not in their right mind or, or he says, who has bewitched you? Like a spell has been cast on them. And they're not in their right minds. Like they're, they're cursed with some sort of incantation that's taking them away from the true gospel. And so he's, he is, um, you know, it, it's as if, as if they've, been stupef- they've been made dumb by some sort of incantation. So I'm just, I'm trying to get you down into the depths of the language that he's using here. It's, our, our English translators often feel like they need to clean things up for us when the Greek is much more uh, gnarly and, and colorful. And so... Here's what Luther says about this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend a lot of time sharing with you Luther and Calvin on this, because I think this is an important point. Luther says, Paul here shows his apostolical care and burning zeal which he bears to the church. 
So that in disputing and confronting, he intermingles sometimes gentle exhortation, and sometimes he sharply reproves, according to his own rule given to Timothy. Preach, he says the word, be instant in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. Right? So Luther begins making the, the point that sometimes the Apostle Paul is just all gentleness. He comes along and he encourages and builds up. You know, maybe the first ten verses of, of the letter to the Corinth is that gentle building up, and then the rest of the book is Paul going at them with strong zeal and rebuke. And so, um, he, uh, this is one of the, one of the, um, one of the weapons of the apostles in confronting sin. Uh, in, in our in New Geneva Academy, where Tim Bailey and I are teaching a hermeneutics course, and one of the classes we dedicated to an article written by, of, of all people, a feminist Indiana University professor in the Religious Studies Department. It's a really good article. Really excellent. Great conclusions, good research, interesting history. But, it's a, but what she does in the article is talk about how the reformers themselves, Luther, Calvin, uh, Erasmus, uh, she focuses on Thomas More as well, how they used invective, insults, in their writings and in their preaching. And she doesn't throw them under the bus as like boys being boys. She actually says there's rhetorical reason that you would use insults in your language. And it led to a very interesting conversation. Um, you do have to nuance that a bit because uh, there's a difference between uh, there's a difference between slandering somebody and using insults as a rhetorical device. They're two different things, right? And rhetoric at the time of the Reformation understood what insults were meant to be, right? They had a context for this. It was taught to them. This is how you, this is how you de-arm your opponent. This is how you, co um, you uh, it's how you um, disarm your opponent, but it's also how you uh, point out the absurdity of the conclusions that uh, someone else makes. And so you, you flag that section off with, uh, you know, you foolish Galatians, or you, you, you don't understand the first thing. And then you give about 45 points undermining their thesis, right? So it's not just insult zung out there without argument. Right? It's insult plus argument. Today, in our rhetoric, if you insult at all, even if you have a million arguments, people will dismiss you as using ad hominem and uh, fallacies, and they won't listen to you past the invective. But here's the Holy Spirit using invective. This is the inspired word of God using invective to point out the foolishness the absurdity, the stupidity of the Galatians' current view. 
having turned away from the pure gospel to this gospel of semi-Pelagianism or Pelagianism or works righteousness, they first of all need to be, it needs to be said they're being stupid, obtuse. It's like they're under a spell. And then the rest of the book is the rhetorical arguments. Okay, here's, here's what you thought. Now here's what you think. Let's compare the two. Let's come to some conclusions here. Stupid Galatians. Um, it's just, it, it, again, it's, it is a, um, I realize that it's, uh, it has the potential to be a bomb when you start talking about the, the utility of insult. But you cannot read the reformers and not read insults. You just cannot do it. And everybody wants to dismiss them as just being hotheads, lacking self-control, and that it was not rhetoric, it was just mean-spiritedness and pride. No, not so much. And the reason it isn't is because Jesus uses invective and insult. The Apostle Paul uses invective and insult, right? The Old Testament prophets use insult all over the place, okay? So this is, and, and all of that, our view of Scripture is that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? And so, so yes, um, there is a utility to insult. But it's very difficult to pull off. It will backfire very quickly. And it will backfire, especially if you just make assertions and have no arguments. If you just assert somebody's stupidity, but don't prove it, well, you're, you're just a slanderer. That's what a slanderer is. You just make statements, but don't prove them, right? And so um, that's the, I, I mean, I could go into that article, I could pull quotes from it, and I think you'd be encouraged by it, but... Um, Let me read some more Luther. Remember, he says that Paul is being an example here of sometimes gentle, sometimes sharp reproof. And let's see, 186. Here's what he says. He, uh, he, the Apostle Paul, reproves the Galatians very sharply, as it seems, when he calls them fools, bewitched, and disobedient to the truth. Now, whether he did this of zeal or compassion, I will not here contend, both may be true. A carnal man would interpret this to be a reviling rather than a godly reprehension. Right? The carnal man would see the Apostle Paul using these words and say, well, he's just a hothead, disregard everything he says. That's what a carnal man would say, Okay? Um, did Paul then give an evil example? Or was he spiteful against the churches of Galatia because he called them foolish and bewitched? No, not so. For with the Christian zeal, it is lawful for an apostle, a pastor, or preacher sharply to reprove the people committed to his charge. And such reprovings are both fatherly and godly. Now, we're all uncomfortable, right? I mean, he's called them fools. He's called them bewitched. 
The schoolmaster, I mean, okay, he keeps going here. Stay with me, right? Um, so parents, he's going to give some examples now. So parents of a fatherly and motherly affection do sharply reprove and rebuke their children, which they would not bear if another should do it. In other words, you can do it to your own kids, but as soon as somebody else does it, we're going to fight. The schoolmaster sometimes is angry with his scholar. He rebukes him and beats him, all which he takes in good part and would not bear it at the hands of his equal, right? So another student can do it, but the schoolmaster who has authority can do it. Yes, he said, beats him. The magistrate likewise is angry. He reproves and punishes such as are under his charge. And this discipline is not only good, but also very necessary, without the which nothing can be well done. Wherefore, unless the magistrate, the minister, the father, and mother be angry and used to reprove or rebuke when the case requires, he is unprofitable and never shall discharge his office rightly. Wherefore, sharp chidings and bitter words are as necessary in every kind of life as any other virtue else. Yet notwithstanding, this anger must be so tempered that it proceed not of any envy or malice, but only of a fatherly affection and Christian zeal. That is to say, it ought not to be childish or womanlike, seeking revenge. Okay? We could talk about that if you want to but only for the correcting of the fault. As the father corrects not his child with desire to revenge, but only that the child thereby may be better. And these kinds of anger are good and are called in Scripture zeals or jealousies. For in chastising my brother, my child, my scholar or subject in this sort, I seek not his destruction, but his profit and welfare. Now, there's a lot there, right? <laughs> that's Luther. That's, you know, 1530-something. It was 500 years ago that that was written. Um, and now we live in a culture that forbids parents to spank children, right? To use the rod as commended by the Holy Spirit in Scripture. Right, and, and so this is like, th this, this sort of thing here is like landing on Mars and interacting with Martians. I mean, it's, it just feels so foreign to us. Um, inter interestingly, um, at last year's New Geneva Academy Conference, we had a Calvin scholar who was there, and he talked about Luther's relationship to Melanchthon. And one of the things that he said is Luther beat Melanchthon physically. Um, and again, this guy knows more about the medieval age or, you know, the Reformation age than I do. And Melanchthon wrote a letter to Calvin. And after Calvin had written to Melanchthon, Calvin wrote to Melanchthon and said, Melanchthon, you've got to convince Luther of this. You know, we've got to get on the same page, probably on the sacraments. We've got to do this. Melanchthon, you're the man to do it. 
And he, he wrote back to Calvin, he said, I can't undergo any more beatings. I can't do it. I can't face his anger. So that gives a little bit of life to what Luther's saying here, okay? When he's talking about scholars and students, Melanchthon was, was an equal to Luther, but also mentored by Luther and was sort of Luther's right-hand man. And, um, and so we can see that um, when Luther tempers what he says in the second paragraph, that he's grappling with himself, okay? He says, yeah, there must be strong rebuke, there must be, uh, there must be intensity of rebuke, but only for the good of those that you have authority over, only for building up, not for revenge, not for envy, not for dragging them down. Now, um, that's the key, right? That's the key. Um, I, I often think that, um, man, should I go there? Um, I don't know. Women, don't take offense at what he says about women. Uh, I think this has been proven in my experience that women can tend toward revenge really quickly, okay? And so don't take, don't take insult at this. Just do self-examination. You may not be that kind of woman, praise God, you know? You've been sanctified. But I do think that women struggle with that perhaps a bit more than men, okay? Men can be weirdly principled and it not be personal. Whereas women have a harder time with it being personal, right? So I think there's, some, there's truth in what he says here. Now I'm going to move on um, before I say anything else. <laughs> um, <laughs> I saw that out of the corner of my eye. <clears throat> let's, all, let's all grow in grace, right? <laughs> there are words for men and women here. <laughs> Equally spread the rebuke. Um, but I just, I find this, I find it fascinating that Luther and Calvin, we'll look at Calvin, latch on to the language that's being used here by the Holy Spirit. That there's an intensity of insult here, and it's good, because it shows the Apostle Paul being zealous for the good of those under his charge, right? It's like the marriage where the, the couple says, well, we never fight. Then you don't care about anything. It's absolutely impossible for you not to fight if you care about something, right? You're going to at least argue it out, right? You're going to have passionate opinions on both sides and have to argue those things out. And by fight, that's what I generally mean is arguments, right? Not fisticuffs. If that happens, um, elders are going to come visit, okay? And so... The, uh, a marriage without fighting, without argument, may indicate, it doesn't always indicate this, but it may indicate that neither of you really care about the good of the other, 
or the good of the home or the you just don't have principles you just you're just lazy dogs who don't want to spend two hours working something out you know and so that's what he's saying here he said look it, it can't uh, this kind of anger he's talking about is good it's called in scripture zeals or jealousies for in chastising my brother, my child, my scholar or subject in the sword, I seek not his destruction, but his profit and welfare. That's the key. That's where you have to examine your motives and your heart in this. Am I hot right now because I want to crush my, my subject? That's not good, okay? Um, but, but there is a time when you are hot because you, you are pleading with that person to avoid destruction. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing here. They're going after a false gospel that if they believe, they're damned. You better believe he's going to get hot about this. If he doesn't get hot, he doesn't care. If he doesn't get hot, they're not going to know he cares, right? They're just going to be like, oh, well, he's chill about it. Maybe, maybe this isn't such a bad heresy to go after. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Jesus tears into the Pharisees. You tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and you neglect mercy and justice. What is wrong with you, right? You hypocrites. You brood of vipers. Um, the, John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? <laughs> oh, man. You know, as they're coming out to him, we'd be like, oh, what a wonderful opportunity to preach to the opponents of the gospel. They're a captive audience. They came out to the wilderness to talk. Let's build some bridges. The apostle, John the Baptist says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the judgment to come? That's how he leads off. <laughs> He's hot, Right? Luther goes on, he says, It may be then that Paul here rebukes the Galatians, either of a very zeal, not to destroy them, but by this means to reduce them into the way again and to amend them, or else of pity and compassion, as it were by way of complaint, for that it grieves him that they should be so miserably seduced, as if he should say, I am sorry and ashamed to hear of this your miserable case, you, your wretched doings, etc., in like manner do we also reprehend the miserable, not that we tread them down or abrade them with their misery, but as having compassion on them and seeking their amendment. To this I say, lest any man should cavil, that Paul railed upon the churches contrary to the rule of the gospel. So he's defending Paul, right? He's defending Paul here. He's defending the apostle Paul's manner. And then what example does Luther bring up? In like manner, Christ rebukes the Pharisees, calling them serpents, the generation of vipers, the children of the devil. But these are the rebukings of the Holy Ghost. They are fatherly and motherly, and as the chidings of a faithful friend. 
As it said also in the Proverbs, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. Thus one in the same, one in the selfsame rebuke, if it come out of the mouth of a father, may be a great benefit. But if it proceed out of the mouth of our equal or enemy, it is a spiteful reproach. When two men do one thing, in the one it is commendable, and in the other it is reproved. But when Christ and Paul do reprove, it is done with singular virtue and commendation. But when a private man shall do the like, it is to him a great vice. Therefore, one in the selfsame word in the mouth of Paul is a benefit, but in the mouth of another is a reproach. Really helpful words. One person could say, you foolish Galatians, and it could be slanderous. And another man could say, you foolish Galatians, and it could be fatherly love. All right? I mean, it's scary to preach on this because some of you are hotheads. I'm a hothead. My words will get out in front of me. And I'll look at them and I'll be like, that was terrible. You know, and so for the, somebody who has a, a hot temper and who wants vengeance, it's dangerous to say these things, but it is, I think it's the truth, right? So don't think too highly of yourself and think that you perfectly nuance your rebukes all the time. And they all flow out of this love for, for everybody around you. Okay, examine yourself on that. Be slow to speak, right? Slow to speak, slow to anger. That's what Scripture also says. Um, think about this. Our approach to our children, fathers and mothers. Oh, man. Think about the difference between swift intensity and a slow dribble of emotional manipulation for years. Which one's more merciful? Which one's sin and which one's potentially not sin? <laughs> yeah, we, we give ourselves a pass on years and years of emotionally manipulating our children. And don't give ourselves to swift rebuke and moving on and restoration. Swift rebuke and, okay, I'm going to trust God that they learn their lesson. I don't have to nag them. I don't have to, you know, talk to them about how my feelings get hurt every time they sin and make it about myself, right? Don't, don't do that to your children. Better to swiftly rebuke them and intensely than to manipulate them for their whole childhood. Right? We good with that? Hard in practice though, isn't it? Because my feelings get bent out of shape really quickly with my children. Right, Thomas? Um, and that's not just with our children. That could be with our wife or our husband, an employee, 
somebody who works for us, instead of just saying, okay, here's your performance review, here are the goals that we set last year, you failed on this, this, and this. We just sort of nag them for six months, but never tell them what they've done wrong. Just trying to, you know, like they, they're going to pick this up through reading our minds. That's not merciful. It's not kind. It's not helpful. It's not fatherly in the sense that Luther is talking about. Our government can do this to us, right? Their authority over us can be like nag, 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 nag. Whereas it would be helpful if they just said, no, idiots. <laughs> All right, Calvin now. Okay, so that's Luther. That's, that should, uh, hopefully that's very helpful. I found it helpful. Calvin, so we're still on Oh Foolish Galatians, right? <laughs> Calvin, if Paul had taught elsewhere, or if they had never heard a single word of the gospel, he would not have been so severe. Right? If this was the first time that Paul had been coming to him, he's not going to lead off with, oh, you idiots, you don't know anything. Because he would have known that they don't know anything. But these guys have knowledge. They have knowledge. And he puts it in a very, the apostle puts it in a very striking way in the rest of the sentence. Okay, so Calvin says he, he wouldn't have been so severe. He would have pitied them as folk who are ignorant and blind. But since he had faithfully taught them and dutifully labored to instruct them in the gospel only to find that they rebelled and became caught up in the, in, with false doctrine... He's very harsh with them there. You know better. Has a witch cast a spell on you? You know better than this. Right? Now, let me continue reading what Calvin says here. 2.20. What we learn from this passage is as follows. If we desire to delight in God's word, we must be a submissive rather than a rebellious people. Remember what is written in Psalm 18:26, with the pure you will show yourself pure, and with the froward you will show yourself froward. All who are stiff-necked and refuse to submit in obedience to God will discover that he is stronger than they are, and that unless they surrender to him, they will be broken and destroyed. Furthermore, notice that when God rebukes us for sin, it is not for us to become angry or fly into a rage as some do who grind their teeth together whenever they are scolded. They plead not to be treated harshly, for their nature requires them to be gently instructed. Yet their very rebelliousness, rebelliousness proves quite the opposite. People who speak in this way only seek the flattery of men, Though they are full of evil ways, even to overflowing, they will not allow anyone to scratch their sore spots. No, they would rather play make-believe and hide their depravity. However, if rebuke comes their way, they immediately become embittered against the gospel. Though once they displayed some degree of zeal, their rage will only reveal that their hearts are now full of poison and bitterness. It is a sure sign 
that they have never known what it is to be taught in God's school alone, as it says in that other passage where Paul says that the word of God is not only profitable for doctrine, but is also profitable for reproof and correction. Some careless souls need hard digs with the spur. (laughs) Others need to be humbled because of their arrogance. Others would be untamable unless they were brought under control by a few heavy blows. Therefore, we must all bear patiently, listen to this, our Lord's chastening hand, realizing that it is for our good. If each of us were fully to examine our lives, we would find that every time we provoked our God, his harshness with us was completely justified. Even if a father were the gentlest we could hope for, yet if his children were difficult to manage, cruel or rebellious, he would be angry with them, as if his whole personality had altered. In order to discipline them, he would have to change his approach. It is likewise likewise with us. We have a Father, capital F, whose goodness surpasses anything we could hope for in man. However, instead of quietly obeying him and being ready to do what he commands, when he, has, when he so much as utters one word, our wickedness and excessive lust cause us to stray from him. We always have answers for him. Although we do not speak with our mouths, there is not that silence in our hearts which will allow us to admit to God as we ought. Since we know from experience that it is necessary for God to be harsh and severe with us, Let us allow him to do what he knows is best for our soul's well-being. Let us bear in mind that the Galatians were just as frail as we are and needed to have their ears tickled, as it were. Yet, they had to be sharply reproved for their faithlessness. And on he goes, right? Again, they keep coming back to like fatherhood and this authority here. And... Um, Calvin shifts the perspective to what, how do we receive rebukes, right? When somebody comes to us with intense language and sharp rebuke, how do we take it, right? And, um, and he's, he's reminding us that, um, that when, when God the Father rebukes us, he's always justified. When he chastens us harshly, he's always justified in what he does. When a representative of God comes and chastens us, yeah, they might be wrong. They might be right, right? Their, their judgment is not infallible, right? But, they, but nonetheless, sometimes they feel it necessary to awaken sleepers, right, with the use of, of language like this. Elsewhere, the Apostle Paul teaches us to be angry, Right? And so anger is not necessarily sin. There's a way to be angry, and it it is not sin. Um, In fact, that's what the apostle says, be angry and do not sin, okay? And so that proves there's a way to be angry and not sin. And that way is to have the righteousness of God in mind. It's very difficult, right? It's very difficult to... um, Think on that and get your heart in the right place when the anger is creeping up. But we do have to examine ourselves. But there, dear mothers and fathers, there should be times 
when your children see your great zeal. Where you go ballistic. Where you pull all the stops. Where you are at the top of your lungs warning against something because you know the danger they're in. Right? Now, if they've just annoyed you and you want to get them back and they've slapped you metaphorically and you want to slap them physically, don't do it. That's sin. Okay? But if you truly are focused on what is right and you're convicted by it and you see the danger of somebody you have responsibility for, there are times to raise your voice. There's time not to be collegial. Certainly not with your children. Okay? Now, have I properly qualified this or am I going to get some emails? Actually, you can't send emails anonymously, so they'll be written letters. <laughs> oh, man. I haven't gotten one of those in a long time. Thank you. Um, other helpful comments or questions on this? Yeah. Well, I think, um, I think the translation of that passage in the New American Standard is essentially to those who are um, crooked, you show yourself crooked. So the crooked, see, God reveals himself as crooked. It's a rebuke to them, right? They can't see the purity of God. And so the crooked see everything as impure. To the pure, all things are pure. To the crooked, all things are crooked. Right? I think that's what that passage means in the Psalms. Yeah. Well, they, I mean, both Calvin and Luther, well, Luther emphasizes the fact that this is not peer-to-peer -peer sort of, this is not legit for peers. This is legitimate for um, authorities, right? Um, mother, father, pastor, elder, um, schoolmaster, student, you know, where there's some sort of, of father, all of us, our father in heaven, all of us. Right, so there has to be that. Um, there has to be reason to rebuke. Part of that is is office. Right. Oh, more than that. <laughs> if it's five percent, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the defenseless, I think anybody who has strength is, um, it should be expended to, to protect those who have no protection. Yeah, right. Any other thoughts, Sandy? Um, I mean, then Luther quotes that passage, right, in the middle of his comments. Um, 
the wounds of a friend, I think, are um, we, we speak truth to our friends, right? Um, but we're not, we're not uh, hot. We're not, you know, it's not this extreme, like, pulling your hair out, what is going on. It's, it's somebody that you're on the, a level playing field with, and, but it doesn't, it doesn't um, uh, rebuke is not uh, just reserved for authority relationships, right? We're to rebuke our friends, you know? Um, but we do it, we say, hey, bud, not good. And let's, let's not do this, and I'll help you if I can, right? But it's not, you foolish idiot! You'll lose your friend. <laughs> You'll lose your friend because that's a voluntary association, but all the other ones with authority are not voluntary. You can't stop being your, your father's child. <laughs> I don't know. That came out of nowhere. I don't know. Um, yeah, I did once. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'm an advocate of that. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure I would oppose that. But um, point well taken about cultural shift. Yeah, we, we, we write armistices all the time. We're making treaties. We're negotiating peace. Preemptively. There are times when, yeah, peace can be negotiated and should be. But um, often we want to do that prematurely just because everybody hates to live with tension. Everybody does. But sometimes truth matters enough to not preemptively um, declare a truce. And so, again, you have to examine your heart. You have to examine your motives. You have to, we, we do have to be mature. For this to actually work well, we have to be mature believers who are not just self-centered uh, belligerators that are constantly angry and expressing our opinions about everything, even though we have no authority in those situations. Just ranting BSers, Right? We, we have a lot of those. We don't need any more of those. All right. I had more here. But all we got through was the first phrase. I'm sorry. One comment, though, and I'll pick up here. Look at what he says. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Galatians did not see Jesus crucified. They were not there. What in the world does the Apostle Paul mean? 
What the Apostle Paul means is his preaching was so powerful that it was as if they saw Jesus Christ crucified before them. And so that's where we're turned to next is that is a statement about the word preached and the power of the word preached. And we, we always need reminders about that. So next time, let's pray. Father, thank you for your servants in history that help us to understand your word. Thank you for the Holy Spirit that uh, reveals to us um, the truth of this infallible, inerrant word. Father, I pray that you would give us a holy anger, and Father, that we would have zeal for what is good and right and true. And Father, I pray that you would give us great self-control to know when we should pull the stops and when we should uh, do the opposite and remain silent. And so, Father, help us as, um, as bosses, as parents, Father, as pastors and elders, as mothers. Father, I, I, I pray that you would give us great wisdom in this regard. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.